Hi, CityCast listener. On Fridays, we look back at the week's news. Today, I am talking with University of Houston historian Raul Ramos. It is Friday, December 2nd, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Hi, Raul. Hi. So, what do you think the biggest story of the week was? I don't think there's any doubt that for Houstonians, nope. <laughs> the, the, the story of the week was the uh, water boil order. I am 100% with you. That's my biggest too. It brought up a lot of memories, I think. of you know, it, it reminds me that in Houston, we're pretty prepared for uh, these kinds of situations. I think between the pandemic, between the hurricanes, between mm-hmm. the power outages, we are flexible. We are uh, able to adjust. It was more disruptive, I think, than we were prepared for, realized. It helps us understand how important Mm -hmm. fresh water, clean water is. (laughs) Our reminder every few years when we lose it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, between Flint, Michigan, between Jackson, Mississippi, we, we see that our infrastructure is incredibly important and the measures that we have in place, the protocols we have in place are there to build trust and and understand that we are drinking safe water and that we have that. And that's really a luxury. I think we have to appreciate that and understand that so much happens behind the scenes in our lives. Is that a, I, don't, I don't think that's a luxury. I think safe water is just a necessity. That's like one of the things I expect of a city. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, what I meant to say is that that yeah. we, we take it for granted, I guess is a better way of putting yeah. it. And and I think, uh, you know, that that th- this is a reminder. It's also a, a reminder of how we, uh, how our routines are built in. Uh, I have a kid in um, HISD and, and uh, they canceled school t- for two days. For him, it kind of felt like a Thanksgiving break extended dance remix is what we kept calling it. And um, <laughs> He was ready to go to school. I have never seen him more ready to go to school than he did, was yesterday. <laughs> so I think everybody was itching to, to get going on the week. And uh, so it was a little bit of a false start of the, of the week after Thanksgiving. But we were, were back in the swing of things. Uh, I, think I, I think it was also disruptive for any place that was preparing food. Uh, you, you saw mm-hmm. restaurants shut down. Uh, so it was. It was. It was not a small thing. Uh, it, it, yet I, I think everyone has patience and, and understanding, and and uh, and we got through it. I think there is some, you know, some some anger that I've been hearing about how quickly the city alerted people that there might have been a breach to the water quality, that it took hours, and that people were finding out through HISD's notification that the schools were shutting down. Or I heard some people heard from TikTok, which the city has the ability to push out these notifications. I got one when the water was pronounced safe. Right. And same thing. I think I saw it on Twitter first. Mm-hmm. And I, I uh-huh. um, or no, I'll take it back. It was our neighbors alerting each other. We kind of have a little neighborhood <laughs> WhatsApp group. And uh-huh. my own sense of it, and I don't have any way of knowing for sure, is that there, there were some uh, question as to how severe or, or whether the, the power, the, the decrease in the pump water 
pressure was long mm-hmm. enough and significant enough to trigger these uh, various measures. And I think it, yeah. that that was part of the delay that that it was deemed uh, significant enough to trigger the water quality control checks. I I was at an event with Sylvester Turner on Wednesday, and he was saying exactly that, that compared to other times when we've had failures of the system, this only lasted for minutes, not hours. Right. The pressure loss, it went below the threshold, but it wasn't that severe. And they just really did not expect the pressure loss to have been great enough to cause a problem. And, you know, he says that sending out an alert in the middle of the night or, you know, I guess it could have been sooner, might have caused some panic, and he didn't want to do that. Those are tough calls, and and I think, uh, you know, you're right, he would have been criticized one way or another in that regard. And um, I also think it's, we're coming off of a particularly contentious uh, political period, right? So uh, there's a way that everything gets amplified, perhaps a mm-hmm. little bit more. At the same time, I think folks are tired of politics, and so they, they were willing to let that <laughs> slide. Yeah, I don't know. I, I saw some people blaming this infrastructure failure on, you know, statewide Republicans like Governor Abbott, even though in this case, I have to say he has nothing to do with Houston's water system. Um, I think it's just this idea that an infrastructure failure immediately becomes, you know, something you project whatever your political anger is onto. I think uh, along with uh, the fact that as Houstonians, we're, we're ready for uh, anything as it comes along. I think we're also uh, have long memories. And, uh, and and whenever we see a storm coming, pick your pick your other storm, right? Whether it was Allison, whether it was Ike, mm-hmm. whether it was Harvey, we all uh, have these moments that we go to when things like this happen. And certainly hearing about a power loss and a pressure loss uh, reminds us of the February freeze. I had made the mistake of emptying out my giant containers of drinking water because I thought, oh, hurricane season is over. I can let them rest. You know, I still have filtration because that's in my prepper kit. But, (laughs) you know, it's it feels like there isn't a rest anymore. We don't have an off season from disasters. Well, I, you know, I think this is the new normal, right? I, I. Oh. Again, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. as a as an educator as well as a, a parent, uh, I'm ready to go online if I need to. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, we're not back. Cer- certainly, we're teaching classes fully in person now. But uh, look, the levels of COVID in the wastewater are starting to go up. Uh, so, uh, uh, do we yeah. now? But we're in a different place now, right? We have vaccines. Right. We have uh, other kinds of treatments. So do we see these numbers and kind of just, you know, maybe mask up in crowded places? Just uh, certainly, I, I do think the smart thing is if you are, if you do test positive or if you do feel symptoms coming on to isolate. And that's just the, uh, you know, helps with general illness around the, uh, the your community, your neighbors, your your coworkers, your, your fellow students. That should be the case with flu as well, a- any kind of mm-hmm. sickness. Uh, I think we have gone to a point where we got a little cavalier about uh, illness. and and But now that we have these ab- ways of, of teaching remotely, of working remotely, 
I, I think mm-hmm. we can allow a little bit more flexibility in order for that larger community good, yeah. whether it's COVID, whether it's flu, whether it's RSV, what what other virus comes along the way. Right. Uh, we, that's a new tool in our toolkit to 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 use, and and I think if we see it in that way, it's more about um, the robustness of our society versus feeling there's mm-hmm. another uh, disaster around the corner. Or, I mean, it's just so we are just sure that there is another disaster around the corner, and we're trying to figure out how to be resilient. Right. There's so many, and a lot of these things help with lots of them. So maybe that's the bright side. I'll try to look at that as the bright side. <laughs> I, 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 always, I always go with that first. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think should have gotten more attention? What, what's been on your mind? Now, what I've been thinking a lot about lately... I don't think is necessarily something that happened this week, but it's something that happened just before the Thanksgiving break. And so maybe that's mm-hmm. another reason it's fallen off the, the radar. But right, af- right after the, uh, the statewide uh, elections, uh, the governor issued a declaration, uh, a statement that he uh, sent to judges around the state entitled Defending Texas Against Invasion from, uh, that was dated on November 14, 2022. And uh, in it, he stated, I invoke the invasion clause of Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution and Article 4, Section 7 of the Texas Constitution to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to fight back against the invasion at our border. And I, I think that was a Pretty strong statement. Yeah, that sounds like almost a declaration of war. Can a governor do that? Well, and, you know, he believes so, according to those uh, uh, Mm -hmm. constitutions that that he lists. In terms of the measures that this uh, would take, some of it he's already doing. And so it was unclear to me why this was necessary. For instance, the first was deploy the National Guard to safeguard our border. Well, that's been happening since Operation Lone Star started. Uh, the uh, deploy the DPS to arrest and return to the border immigrants who crossed illegally. Now, that's, a, a again, maybe a, a step further than what's already happening. Uh, there were other uh, elements of uh, building a border, but there was the one that, that sort of struck me, which was deploy gunboats to secure the border. And that seemed uh, to Whoa. be clo- <laughs> right. That seemed to be closer to that uh, declaring war. Now, invasion... Yeah. Uh, the first place I went to was, uh, again, invasion. I mean, normally don't countries invade? Right. Not, not individual people who just cross the border looking to get a job in construction? I mean. Absolutely. Look, we can look at this in terms of uh, the politics of why he would make the statement, why he would yeah. ratchet it up. You know, clearly uh, this has to do with speaking to an issue, amplifying it, uh, making it a crisis, and perhaps acknowledging that this was a winning political issue uh, in the last uh, round of, 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 of elections. And so that's, uh, that's one way to look at it. But going to the actual technical part, like you're saying, an invasion, absolutely. Uh, you would think that it would be a, a nation state uh, doing the invading. I have a even more uh, cynical view of this, which is it's turning immigrants into invaders right and and it is oh, uh legally well again 
quasi legally, but it's whatever more, whatever this law he's invoking may or may not mean. Right. It's yeah. more emotional, right? And it's it's mm-hmm. basically saying, you know, these are your enemies uh, versus, you know, these are uh your your neighbors, these are your mm-hmm. uh people in need, these are people that can help you, right? As is yeah. uh, what's how the the world has been running at these last 50 100 years. And so this is, uh, I think this, that's the larger threat. I also thought of it in another way, which is uh, I work on 19th century Texas history. And there mm-hmm. was a time, in fact, twice, when Texas was literally invaded by another nation state uh, during the Republic period. In 1842, Mexico uh-huh. twice sent troops and occupied San Antonio. Uh, and we don't really talk about that much. It's the the two invasions from Mexico in, in that case, I think, uh, maybe are have been suppressed or, or at least silenced in our history because they show moments of weakness for the Republic of Texas. Oh, oh, Texas hates admitting that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah. uh, but it was a real invasion. I mean, it, troops came in. Yeah. The first one was in March for just two days. Uh, Rafael mm-hmm. Vasquez, uh, in what's known as the Vasquez Expedition, uh, entered into San Antonio and uh, empowered himself over the the city. Uh, and uh, just for a couple of days, and as he left, a few families went to Mexico with him. The second time was the Wool Expedition, and that one was... Uh, took place in September for over a week uh, or about a week. And in that one, there was an interesting case. Two, two things happened, I think, are worth noting. The first mm-hmm. is it happened in September uh, of, of 1842, and, and that happened to be Mexican Independence Day. So he had another Mexican Independence Day parade in, in the middle of oh. San Antonio during the Texas Republic. And so wow. uh, that, I think, was symbolic. He also imprisoned about 50 of the Anglo-Texan uh, I don't know if there was just citizens or or soldiers or police mm-hmm. force or whoever whoever it was in San Antonio and required them to sign a statement saying that they would treat Mexicans well after the the army left. So there were, there seemed to be this uh, acknowledgement that this was temporary, that this was uh, a shot across the bow, if you will, but it really was aimed at the fact that Mexicans. In Tejanos in San Antonio were feeling uh, essentially tr- treated poorly, that they were being discriminated, they were being uh, left out, they were being harassed. They were had there, and in fact, that's what had happened after the first uh, invasion. And so, it was some of the first signs that uh, that post war, post post Texas War, post uh, Alamo, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. life for Tejanos was going to be difficult. Wow. Uh, that's at least my my that, view of it. That is just very different than what we're seeing now. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, yeah. Although I do feel like there's a little bit of a of a convergence here, and the convergence would be in the area of how uh, of overstating your powers, right? Or, or t- mm-hmm. in other words, uh, my larger argument is that the Republic of Texas. Uh, claimed to be more than it actually was. Texas declared itself a nation uh, only after having requested statehood with the United States. And so uh, <laughs> it, it was something of a, 
yeah. of a ugly duckling or a sort of a, a hot potato is maybe a better way of describing it because uh, virtually every country in, in the in the world uh, refused to acknowledge the the existence of of the Republic of, uh, Republic of Texas. But this aggrandizement that is just in our state's DNA somehow. It's and it just keeps coming back up. Sure, you know I think the the these statements right after the election. Immigration issues, border issues continue to come up. Look, it's it's like a, you know, it, it's like a gift for uh, for the particularly the the Republican Party in in, in this case. Um, Im, you know, immigration is a is a tough issue, but there there's uh, I think a desire not to solve it because as long as it's an issue, uh, it's it's a winning issue for for the Republican Party in in uh, in these areas, and certainly I think it's also uh, pointing to uh, the way that politics is playing out uh, in some of these border counties where you're seeing mm-hmm. uh, the Republican Party start to to gain a little bit more traction than than before. I mean, I think it can be overstated. Certainly, if you look at uh, the one district that flipped in in Congress, it was it flipped. Cer- certainly, some of the votes switched, but it was also because of uh, gerrymandering. You know, you were able to take mm-hmm. a, a district and and uh, and make it more Republican. I think that's another one of those that stretches up uh, almost all the way to San Antonio. So it's uh, I think that these uh, these issues are going to stay clearly are going to stay uh, on on our radar as we go forward. Uh, I. I like to I like to point it out its relation to the history of Texas and, and certainly that question of aggrandizement because mm-hmm. uh, I, it it does feel like Texas is making its own foreign policy and its own immigration policy and its own war policy in this case and and look states make their own economic policies for sure we uh, and and I think if the if these policies start to have that kind of economic impact, you might see some scaling mm-hmm. back of, of these uh, extraordinary measures, as they're called. Because money speaks in Texas. <laughs> Correct. So the story that I've been paying attention to um, is about Vanessa Guillen. Mm. Um, I don't usually follow crime stories, but her murder, I think, has stood for something larger. So in 2020, um, Vanessa Guillen was a 20-year-old Army soldier who's from Southeast Houston, went to Chavez High School. And that summer, while she was serving at Fort Bragg in San Antonio, um, police say that she was killed by another soldier, Aaron Robinson. Um, He was detained, but he escaped before he was charged, and he committed suicide. So The new development this week is that Aaron Robinson's girlfriend, Cecily Aguilar, pleaded guilty to being an accessory to the crime after it was committed and to helping Robinson cover it up. She's the only person who's been charged, and she could end up serving a very stiff sentence. I just, I think this is a kind of closure, but I just don't think that this is enough for Guillen's family or for the people who've been painting those murals and who marched in 2020. Um, Some laws have been passed at a federal level that change the way that sexual harassment is treated in the military now in Vanessa Guillen's name. But even so, her sister and her mother say that more justice 
needs to be done. And I think there's a feeling in Southeast Houston that, you know, this Mexican-American who served her country was, you know, not served well, that justice was not done for her. So I will be watching to see if anyone else is charged and what else comes out in her name. I think this happened uh, on the heels of the George Floyd murder and the George Floyd protests. And what George Floyd moment at protests and movement really did was essentially expand how we think about these incidents as rather than just saying, well, it's a bad cop or it was a bad soldier. It's asking us to look at the, at the systems that, uh, that essentially fail uh, our our communities uh, at uh, accountability, at protection. And and, uh, Vanessa's case was incredibly tragic. And what compounded that tragedy was the obfuscation, the uh, lack of feeling of lack of accountability. And uh, I think some of that's even... Uh, the case, uh, the discussions we're having post-Uvalde, right? That was uh, yeah. also about uh, the accountability of law enforcement at different levels, at different moments of crisis. So I, those, I, I think we're seeing these discussions happen more and more. And that's the kind of change that can have a, a, a longer lasting impact that I think folks want to see and, and are, and are looking for it. Yeah. So, all right. What is making you happy this week? What has been your moment of joy? Well, I was all ready to come jump on here and talk about how both my teams in the uh, World Cup, both the United States and Mexico, advanced to the round 16. And then <laughs> my heart was broken again. You know, being Mexican-American, I have two teams and I, uh, at different points and for different reasons, cheer them on or, you know, when they play each other, I'm, I'm torn. But yeah. I, uh, in Mexico and for Mexican-Americans and, and for fans of the Mexican team, uh, this streak of going into the, the, the round of 16 has been broken. Uh, it, and it just, it was a heartbreaker. Um, and, uh-huh. and so it's, it was an exciting match. I mean, it was incredible to, to have something like 26, 28 shots on goal. It was, it was great wow. to watch. Uh, but again, a, a heartbreaker. Uh, so, um, that, that's, is not as joyful, uh, message as I wanted to <laughs> send, but the joyful message here, uh, from my corner of Houston is that, mm-hmm. uh, right after Thanksgiving, uh, our block gets, comes together and, and, we hang lights uh, across our whole block. We we come together and string up these lights, and uh, we're in the Heights here that oh. every year has uh-huh. uh, 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 the Lights in the Heights Festival, and so we've yeah. we've made it a tradition over the last five six years where we get together at night after the kids are asleep, and you know mo- mostly you know families get together and string up the lights, and uh, we have it's just a I think it's both a, a reminder of of uh, our community or our local corner. Uh, it's a point of pride of our block. Uh, it's also uh-huh. uh, 
a reminder for me of being thankful that this block is what got me through, got us through COVID and, and through all these uh, moments where we couldn't uh, be out there. Uh, we really learned to rely on each other. We help each other out. We lift each other up and, and uh, we're fortunate to have that on our block. And, and uh, my, my hope is that everyone has that somewhere in their lives. Yeah. That importance of the local, the very hyper-local community. My moment of joy is fall color. I, you know, I think it's kind of rare in Houston. We don't get it every year. You never quite know if you're going to get it or what month it'll come. And here it is, coming this weekend when everyone's hanging up Christmas decorations and swatting mosquitoes at the same time. <laughs> but, you know, it's a joy to see those bright yellows and bright reds. You know, having lived in the Northeast for a while, mm-hmm. uh, our, our fall or the few moments of fall we get is like spring in other parts of the country. Uh, it, we've we've made it through. Instead of making it through <laughs> another winter, we've made it through a summer. We've made it through a hurricane season. Uh, I think we're all ready to, um, I, I, I would like to say, th- you know, throw off our jackets, but put on our jackets in this case and... and <laughs> And walk outside and really, um, you know, uh, be neighborly that way. And I, I just feel folks get a little less grouchy than when the middle of the summer when you feel oh, like much. it's never going to end. I am much less grouchy. <laughs> so it is real joy. All right. Well, this has been a joy, Raul. Thank you so much for Thank talking you. with me. It was a joy for me as well. That was University of Houston historian Raul Ramos. That is it for our show this week. Our content director is Will Fulton. Our lead producer, Dina Kisba, is away on parental leave. Our producers are Carleon Jones and A.K. Al Molman. Our roving producer is Meg Dalton. Our mixer is Selena Shea Reynolds. Our Hey Houston newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. Our theme music is by Farrell Gibbs and All the Kimonos, and I am your host, Lisa Gray. We will be back on Monday. Talk with you then. <sighs> One more take. Oh, 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 o